Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 10, The Homecoming. In this episode, we'll be reading chapters 32 through 34 in Genesis. After making the covenant with his uncle Laban, Jacob then continues his journey south towards his father. On his way back to his family, it says in Genesis 32 verse 1 that the angels of God met him. Jacob recognized these angels to be God's host of angels. The word used for host actually means army. So when Jacob meets the angels of God, he's actually meeting the army of God. Therefore, Jacob would name the place Mahanaim, which means camps or two camps, which is thought to be on the east side of the Jordan River, just about 66 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Jacob would send messengers to Esau, who was living in the land of Seir. The land of Seir would once belong to the descendants of Seir the Horite, but Esau and his descendants would eventually take possession of the land. But at this point, both were living there. The land of Seir was along the mountainous terrain east of the valley of Ereba, which runs from the Jordan Valley to the Dead Sea, and then all the way to the Gulf of Akuba in the south. This valley would run about 200 miles or so and has the lowest point on earth at 1,292 feet below sea level. The area that Esau would live in is just southeast of the Dead Sea. It's about 110 miles in length and is mostly desert lands. Although some agriculture was practiced here, it wasn't much. This is where Jacob sent his messengers to make contact with Esau. But Esau's response was not at all what Jacob hoped for. When his messengers returned, they informed Jacob that Esau was on his way, with 400 men riding next to him. With the thought of the last time that he saw his brother, Esau wanting to kill him, Jacob became very afraid for his life when he heard of Esau's greeting committee. So Jacob begins to make plans. He splits his company into two different groups. That way, if one gets attacked, the other group could escape. He would then also call out to God, praying the same words and promise that were given to him by God. In Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12, Jacob is seen praying to God, saying that he has listened and followed what God has told him and obeyed him. But now he is greatly afraid because of Esau and his company that even while following God and what he had said to do, opposition came against Jacob. Yet he brought it before God, remembering the promise that was given to him and standing upon it. And with that, Jacob got to work. After setting up his company into two different groups, he would then prepare a gift to give to Esau. And this was no small gift either. In Genesis 32 verse 14, it says that the gift was 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes, which are female sheep, and 20 rams, a male sheep. And yes, there is a difference between the two. They belong to two different types of families. 30 milking camels with their calves, so 60 camels, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. That's 580 different animals that would be given to Esau as a gift. When sending out these gifts, Jacob told his servants to go out in droves with the herds. 
And when they saw Esau, to tell him that these herds was a gift from Jacob to him. This was to be done with each drove of animals. And if each animal was split up into its own row, then there would have been at most five different droves of animals. This was done so that Jacob would appease Esau and he wouldn't want to kill Jacob. That night Jacob would stay behind, not going with any of his servants to deliver the gifts. However, during the night he would send his wives and his eleven sons, and however many daughters he had, all which would be under the age of thirteen, and sent them across the Jabbok River. Some say to the south side of the river, which is the direction where Esau was coming from. All while Jacob stayed by himself on the north side. The Jabbok River is on the east side of the Jordan Valley, and is 25 miles northeast of the Dead Sea and 40 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Today this river is called Circa and because of its blue-colored water. Although Jacob wouldn't go with his wife and children, he would stay on the north side of the river and would have a visitor. In Genesis 32 verse 24 through 30, it talks about a man showing up while Jacob was alone and they wrestled until daybreak. When the man realized that he was not winning against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that it would come out of joint. Once it was done, he told Jacob to let him go because day was breaking. But Jacob refused to let him go unless he received a blessing from the man. The man then asked what his name was, to which Jacob replied, Jacob. The man then goes on to tell that he will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because he had struggled with God and man and prevailed. Jacob then asked for the name of the man, but he would not give it to him, but instead blessed Jacob. Jacob would then rename the place Peniel because he had seen God face to face and lived. First off, who was this man? There have been many suggestions on who it was, even some saying that it was a river demon or a spirit that protects the body of water, who must vanish by daybreak like many Greek and Egyptian myths and legends. But why would a demon bless someone? Plus, Jacob was able to move his whole family across the river during the night without any issues. Others say that it was a guardian angel of Esau, that Jacob wrestled being a foreshadowing of the struggles between the descendants of Esau and Jacob. But Jacob believes that he wrestled with God himself, which is why he names the place Peniel because he saw God face to face. Jacob would have known what God looked like because he saw him in his dream in Bethel when he saw God standing over the top of the ladder that led to heaven. Most likely it would have been Jesus pre-incarnated just like he appeared to Abraham. However, in Hosea 12 verse 3 and 4 it says that he wrestled with God on his own strength and prevailed against the angel. Now some say that it was just a spiritual struggle as Jacob was alone seeking God in prayer because of the fear and anxiety of the coming morning with the arrival of his brother. That he wrestled through the fear with God and was thus able to conquer the fear when he had won the wrestling match. Also some say that God wrestled Jacob to help strengthen him mentally and spiritually for the coming trials that he was about to face. That God was just preparing Jacob. And the reason that Jacob's hip was dislocated was so that he would remember the vision when he went on with his life. The issue with this thought is that Jacob was physically injured during the wrestling match and he would not let go of the man. And Hosea says that Jacob wept and won it favor from him. Whoever it was, either Jesus or an angel, Jacob did physically wrestle with them. But why would Jacob wrestle with them in the first place? The word for wrestle here is abak, which has correlation to the word dust, 
because in Greece, when two men wrestled, it would cause a cloud of dust around them, or because it was also customary to rub dust and dirt on their bodies. Some say that the man started at first and wrestled with Jacob, but Jacob ended up beating the man and wouldn't let go of him unless he blessed him. Others say that the wrestling with God was because Jacob was trying to do things in his will and his own strength, but that the dislocation of the hip was to show Jacob that even though he had won, he was given the win because the man was more powerful being than Jacob was. Others think that the wrestling match could have been a way to show Jacob that he can't do it all in his own strength, but needed God's help, almost as a way to get Jacob's attention. And with the dislocation of the hip, now Jacob had to surrender to God and his will. There's also the thought that the wrestling with God was just to show Jacob that even though him and his descendants would face many trials, they would prevail, even with all the odds against them. But what if Jacob was wrestling God because he wanted a blessing the whole time? While the man was trying to leave, Jacob prevented him from leaving because he wanted a blessing from him, knowing that God was going to go with him in the coming days that he would meet his brother Esau. Therefore, Jacob would not let go of the man until he was blessed. The man would eventually bless Jacob by giving him a new name. Now in the Bible, names were extremely important. Every name had to do something with the person, either about their origin, their purpose, their characteristics, or to honor God. In essence, the name of the person was tied to their identity. Therefore, when the man changed Jacob's name from heel catcher, supplanter, or deceiver to Israel, which means prevailed against God and man, he was changing his identity and what he stood for. What's interesting though, unlike Abraham and Sarah, who God changed their names as well, Jacob is the only one throughout the Bible to be called both Jacob and Israel. It has been suggested that he is called Jacob when he is acting out of his old self and called Israel when he is walking in his new identity. However, there are many passages in the Bible that mention both names within the same passage. After being blessed, the sun rose and Jacob would limp on his leg for the rest of his life because the muscles shrank around the hip. And because of that, the Jewish community would not eat the part of the muscle around the hip socket of an animal because God touched that part of Jacob's hip. The next morning, Jacob got up and saw that Esau was coming. So again, Jacob divided his company by placing his wives and children into different groups. He would place the maiden servants and their children in the front, then Leah and her children, and then lastly, Rachel and Joseph in the back, showing the importance of the women and the children. He would then cross before them, being the first of the group to meet Esau. As Jacob walked up to Esau, he bowed seven times. In ancient times, it was proper to bow seven times before a king. Therefore, the honor that Jacob was showing Esau was that of a king. But Esau did something totally different than Jacob had expected. Instead of coming at Jacob with a sword, he came to him with arms open wide. Esau ran to meet Jacob, embraced him, and fell on his neck kissing him, which was the way that people used to greet one another in their culture. They would then both weep together. After the greeting with one another, Esau looks up and sees Jacob's family and asks who they all are. Jacob then explains to Esau that these were the children that God had given to him. With that, each of the women and their children came up and showed the same type of honor to Esau as Jacob did, bowing before him. The conversation between the two brothers continues. Esau then asks about all the animals that he saw while coming to meet Jacob, which Jacob tells Esau that they are a gift for him. 
But Esau refused to give, saying that he already had enough. But Jacob wasn't going to take no for an answer. So Esau gives in and receives the gift from Jacob. Esau then offers to stay with Jacob and his company until they reach the land of Seir. However, Jacob refuses the offer by saying that the children and animals are too weak to keep up with him, and that he would rather go at his own slow pace and then meet him in Seir. Esau then tries to offer to leave some men with him to help with driving the herds, but Jacob would not have it. Therefore, Esau returned back to his home in Seir. But Jacob didn't follow Esau. Instead of following Esau back south towards Seir, the mountainous terrain east of the valley of Arabah, he headed north, packed everything back across the river, and headed to Sukkoth, which is thought to be about a mile or so north of the Javik River. Here he would build himself a house and tent, or booth, for the livestock. The meaning of Sukkoth either means booth or tent. A booth for the animal was a hut that was made out of branches so that they could have some type of shelter, and it was very fast and easy to build. They are used for temporary shelter. So when Jacob built them for his livestock, he was not planning on staying long in Sukkot. From here, Jacob would either travel to Salem or Shechem. The reason that it is unknown is because in Genesis 33 verse 18, it says that Jacob arrived safely in the city of Shechem in the land of Canaan. The word safely here means Salem, or peace, but it could also be translated in Hebrew to mean that Jacob arrived in Salem, a city of Shechem, in the land of Canaan. However, this is the same place that Abraham would stay during his journey into the land of Canaan from Haran in the Mesopotamian area. When Abraham arrived here, it was the first time that God gave him the promise that the land would belong to his descendants. Therefore, when Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, arrived in the city, he purchased some of the land to settle down from the children of Hammer, the Hivite, which was a branch of the Hittites. Hammer was a prince, the ruler of the city. His son would be Shechem. Jacob purchased the land and built an altar on it and named it El Elohi, Israel, or the God of Israel. Now Jacob stayed there for many years in the land. Some think that it was about eight years that he stayed there. And while dwelling in this land, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went out to see the daughters of the land. Dinah was probably around the age of six when Jacob and his family left Laban and traveled to Shechem. If they stayed there for eight years, she would be around the age of 14 or so. When she went out to see the daughters of the land, most likely to hang out with them, Shechem, the son of the ruler of the city, Hammer, saw her and wanted her. Therefore, Shechem takes Dinah, lays with her, and rapes her. However, Shechem didn't just leave Dinah. He fell deeply in love with her, wanted to devote himself to her, and spoke kindly to her. After this, Shechem then went to his father and told him to get her for himself as a wife. However, some scholars believe that when Shechem goes to his father, he tells him to get the young woman, Dinah, to be his wife. But the word young woman could be translated to mean maidservant. And usually a maidservant in those times was just a concubine. I want to take a moment here and explain what a concubine was and what their role in society was. A concubine was a woman that lived with a man like she was his wife, but she wouldn't have the same title and status of a wife, almost like a secondary wife. Usually they were slaves, or later on women whose husband had died and could not provide for themselves. Early on in history, a concubine was really meant to bear children when the main wife could not, just like the case for Sarah and Hagar as well as with Rachel and Leah giving Jacob their maidservants as wives. 
Hagar and the maidservants, they were concubines in order to have children in place of the wife. However, as time passes, concubines would eventually just become a woman used for sexual pleasure. Although God never outwardly condemns men having concubines or multiple wives, God does explain what marriage should be. The original intent of God with marriage was between one man and one woman. However, God allowed divorce too, but that wasn't part of his original plan either. It was only allowed because of the hardness of a man's heart. Another reason why men took concubine was because women in ancient history had no way of providing for themselves. In the culture back then, a woman was completely dependent on their husbands or families to take care of them, either a father or a brother. Women in those days were not educated or skilled in any trade whatsoever. Therefore, if a woman's husband died and they had no other family members, a father or a brother to take care of them, it would place them in a very difficult situation. Many of these women would be easy to be taken advantage of by men and fall into prostitution, slavery, or even up dying. So when a woman attached herself to a man as a concubine, although it wasn't an ideal situation, it was better than the alternatives because she would be provided for by him. Now back to Shechem asking his father to get Dinah to be his wife. When Jacob and his sons heard about what happened to Dinah, they were extremely angry because their daughter and sister had just been raped. Therefore, when Shechem's father Hammer came to Jacob and his family asking for Dinah to be his son's wife, they weren't just going to let him get away with it. Hammer came to Jacob and wanted to, one, ask for Dinah, but to also ask that marriage would be allowed between the two different people groups, that Jacob would give his daughters a marriage and take Hammer's daughters a marriage so that they would become one, thus opening up the land to Jacob to dwell in and to trade in as someone that possesses the land. A side note here is that when Hammer asked for the daughters of Jacob to be given a marriage, it was plural. This could mean that Jacob had more than one daughter, or it could simply mean that down the family lines that Jacob's female descendants would be given a marriage. Also, when Hammer offered the intermarrying of two families, he was giving him a way to begin possessing the land that his grandfather was promised. However, Jacob didn't have to think too long on the matter, because Shechem, who was there with his father, said that he would do anything for Dinah. No dowry was too large for him to pay the family. To this, Jacob's sons replied saying that they could not intermarry because the men of Hammer's family were not circumcised. Therefore, Jacob's sons told them that all the men needed to be circumcised before they would give and take each other's daughters. Jacob never says anything during this conversation. To this, Hammer and Shechem readily agreed to and went back to the city gates to announce to the people that the deal had just been struck. They told the people that they could become one nation with the Israelites if every man was circumcised. The way they convinced the people to agree to this was by saying that everything Jacob and his family owned would become theirs for the taking once they began to intermarry. Therefore, every male that heard Hammer and Shechem announcing an order to be one with Israel was circumcised. However, on the third day, while the men were still in pain from being circumcised, Levi and Simeon, Dinah's brothers took their swords and went to the city and killed every male, including Hammer and his son Shechem. Now the city was not just a small village. It had city walls and gates. It's said that the city used to be a strong walled city with three gates, a temple fortress, and an acropolis, which was a high point in the city that was usually protected as well. Once they had killed every male in the city, they took Dinah away from the house of Shechem and brought her home. Afterwards, either Levi and Simeon, or all the sons of Jacob, came back and plundered the city, taking everything that was of worth. 
They took all the livestock, all of the wealth of the city, the little ones, the women they took for slaves. They even took things out of the houses. Anything that had value that was inside and outside of the city, they took for themselves. When Jacob hears of what has happened, he fears for his life, thinking that the other tribes of people would come together to destroy him and his family. However, Levi and Simeon were unapologetic for what they had done in restoring the honor of their sister. From here, God would call Jacob to move his company to the place where it all started when he was fleeing from Esau the 20 to 30 years or so prior. So join us next time as we look at both Esau and Jacob and their descendants coming into their own nations in episode 11, The Start of Two Nations. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. Go ahead and rate and review it, and for ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. Also, to be sure to share it with friends and family. Thanks. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.